October 10th, 2012, Rindavan Nectar Devotion, Introduction Part 2. Who is speaking? Who is speaking? That's a good question. That we will discuss today with Upadis. What's my designation? Would anybody be willing to get me a full and clean cup of water? Sorry, I should have done it for myself. That's another big cultural difference. You're from Australia, right? So the Australians are at the top of the list of not having class consciousness. And the next, the second is the Americans. But here the people are very class conscious. They're very like status conscious. In, Br- in Britain, they're also quite class conscious. Yeah, but in general. Okay, I hope everybody can see what's up on the board. This is going to be the focus of today's class. And those of you who have your books, and I hope, did it get printed properly with the diacritics? No. No. Even though I begged, begged, and begged, please have it printed from the computer with a Balaram font. But it didn't. Uh, it looks like some of the diacritics might be okay. So we're looking at the last few pages of the introduction. And as I did tell you, this, this does need to be somewhat of a technical class. So we'll do one activity at the end. Thank you so much. So these are two verses that you need to know. Yes? The two verses that I have written up on the board. You have a verse book of verses that you need to memorize? Yes? Yes, I assume both these verses are in there. So the first... The first is Rupa Goswami's definition of bhakti, and the second is evidence that he is quoting. So we're going to go through word by word. Okay, we're not necessarily going to follow the order here that the words are in the verse. Uh, Those of you familiar with Sanskrit grammar, you know that the Sanskrit grammar is by the ending of the words, not by their placement in the sentence. So in English, if I say the boy threw the ball or the ball threw the boy, the meaning is different. If I just move where the word is positioned, Sanskrit is not like that. In Sanskrit, the nouns have their position by the ending. So if it's Krishna, it's a subject. Krishna, it's an object like that. So therefore, it allows it, you to make poetry much more easily in Sanskrit because you can move the words around without affecting the grammar. There is a preferred order for Sanskrit, but it's not the order doesn't determine the grammar. Whereas in English, word order determines the grammatical sense. So this, anyway, we're not going to go through this uh, in order. We will say also that these top two lines here, this is the secondary characteristics, and these are the primary characteristics. Basically, this verse is a definition, like a dictionary definition. And what Rupa Goswami is defining here is Bhaktir Uttama. Bhaktir Uttama. Can everyone see what's on the board? Is it readable? Is it seeable? Okay. So Rupa Goswami is giving a definition of Bhaktir Uttama. What does Bhaktir Uttama mean? That's an easy question. Yes. Topmost Bhakti. Topmost devotion. 
So, and Uttama literally means Uttama. Above the darkness. Yes, Tama is darkness or ignorance. So Uttama means above darkness. That's the literal meaning. Uttama also means highest. Yes? You're saying it means the topmost bhakti. Does that mean there's a lesser bhakti? A lower bhakti? Yes. Definitely. Yes. There's a mistake here. That is Oh, Oh, can you fix it for me, please? Yeah. Just use the yellow chalk in there and fix it. Oh, yes, that should be an N, right? Yeah. Yes, thank you. Use the skinny yellow chalk. Thank you very much. I was talking to you while I wrote it, and I'll blame you for the whole thing. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Any other mistakes? No? So anyway, this starts with the definition of bhakti. If you're going to be writing a book about bhakti, then you better start out with defining what is bhakti. We get back to your question about form. Form. So Rupa Goswami is giving this bhakti rasamrita to Sindhu in a particular form, in a particular order. And he starts out with a definition. And he's going to be defining pure bhakti. He's not here defining mixed bhakti. You're saying, are there other kinds of bhakti? There certainly are. There are karma mishra bhakti and gyan mishra bhakti. Like, take this being passive. That's fine. That wouldn't really actually be bhakti then. Like bhakti, the word bhakti has itself That's a very good and interesting point. And maybe you can be in the group that takes out the word uttama and see if the meaning changes. And the reason I've underlined this is these are the words that each group will be taking out to see if the meaning changes. So, anyabilasita is one word, sunyam, another one, jnana, another one, karma, anavritam, anukulena, krishna, anushilanam, bhaktir, uttama. So your first point is, does it really need to say bhaktir uttama? Why can't it just say bhakti? Why does it have to be bhakti uttama? So my response, I don't want to respond to that too much because that's going to be your job to figure that out. Uh, but here, here Rupa Goswami is telling us this is a definition of pure devotional service. This is not a definition of karma measure bhakti or gan measure bhakti, uh, nor is it a definition of, uh, just like uh, Lord Kapila Dev talks about, bhakti in the modes of material nature. This is a, a definition of transcendental bhakti. Okay, so the first concept is Krishna. That it's about Krishna. It's not about anybody else. It's not about Durga. It's not about... Just like we, um, we used to show our students these Indian movies of Ramayana and Mahabharata. And especially in the Mahabharata, they, uh, the characters would often say desh prem love of place that literally means in other words nationalism love of country so they kept putting these words into Bhishma's and Vidura's mouth you know desh prem you can't find where we are? No, is it somewhere it most certainly is um, it's, it's very close to the beginning let's see how many pages we have to go through those of you who have a book Thank you for asking. Those of you who have a book, first page says Nectar Devotion. Second page says Outline of Samanya Bhakti. Third page says Outline of Sadhana Bhakti. Fourth page continues that. Fifth page says Outline of Baba Bhakti. Sixth page says Nectar Devotion, Preface through Chapter 1, Bhakti Shastra, UDD. UDD is me. Ud. And if you call me Mother Urmila Devi Dasi, then it's M-U-D-D, or MUD. Which you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was in the temple once where on my birthday they made a cake that said M-U-D-D on it. Actually, when I was a little girl, anytime I was naughty, my father would say, if you do that again, your name will be Mud. <laughs> I guess, it, I guess he's, he's, his words are truth. 
Okay, so then on the next page, I lost track now of what number it was. There's, it says, topics of introduction. And then it says, concept one, Krishna with the diacritics messed up, the target of bhakti. Okay, that's where I am. I'm referring to this very page. And so if you have your book, uh, unfortunately, these books don't have the whole verses in them. That's an oversight. But anyway. They don't have the shloka. They don't have the whole shloka in here, no. Uh, but you can see where you can find it. Um, uh, they're quoted many places, but it's in Majjhima 19, 167, and 170, if you have the Veda base. You can easily find the whole sloka. There's slokas that Srila Prabhupada quotes often. And if you're going to say that you know the nectar devotion, you should know these two verses. You should be able to, you should be able to know this first verse we're doing today backwards, forwards, inside out, know the meaning of every word. Okay. Is word for word meaning paper or it's in this one? Or? Well, the word for word we're discussing right now. It's right here. It's right here. Okay. So Krishna, you all know who Krishna is, right? Everybody know who Krishna is? How is this the... Uh, sorry. Yes. Ask again. No. This uh, concept one Krishna talking about the and the word Alevilashita is not the... Okay, let me back up. In English, you have to have words in a certain order. The, the English order is essential to the meaning. In Sanskrit, it's not like that. The words are, do not have to be in a certain order in order for them to be grammatically understood. So just like the first verse of the Shikshastika, what do we say in English? All glories to the Sri Krishna Sankirtan, which... But what in the Sanskrit is the end. Param Vijayate Sri Krishna Sankirtan is at the end. So when you translate something from Sanskrit to English and back again, the word order may be radically different. Um, what we're going to do is we're not going to go through the word order word by word. For the first reason is that we're going to talk about the primary characteristics of this verse first and then the secondary. And Rupa Goswami is mentioning the secondary first. Rupa Goswami is going from least important down to most important, at least from the first two lines and the third and fourth line. So that's not um, good journalism. It may be good poetry. In journalism, you do the most important things first so that people can just read the first paragraph or two of a news article and they still know what's going on. But that's not how this verse is constructed. This verse is constructed with the thing you're defining is last. So generally we'd say, okay, I'm going to define pure devotional service. The definition is, like if you look in a dictionary, you'll see you know, house and then the definition of a house. Whereas here you're given the definition first and then at the end you're told, oh, we're, just, we're defining house. So first you have, the, the whole thing is a definition. The last two words, bhakti uttama, is what you're defining. Does everybody follow that? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to be going through this verse not in the order the words are written in, but in the order of, of our, our understanding this in English. So I don't even have a paper here to mark he was late, so don't worry, nobody will ever know. Nobody tell anybody, okay? Uh, so first thing is for Krishna. So Prabhupada makes this point often that bhakti is only for Krishna. You can't have bhakti for your country. You can't have bhakti for Durga. You can't have bhakti for... Oh, now I can mark you late. That wasn't very smart. So people may think like that. Well, I can have love and devotion to my country. I can have love and devotion to my dog. I can have love and devotion to my own body. I can have love and devotion to my house, you know, to my job. But this is, this is just about bhakti for Krishna. And in fact, really, you can't have something that you call bhakti for someone other than Krishna. Now, having said that, having said that, I believe it's Jiva Goswami who says that it is possible to also have some of the, the bhavs, some of the aspect of rasa for one's guru or a great devotee. Which is an astonishing statement. 
this plays back into the concept of loving Krishna means loving everyone. And so your feelings towards Krishna end up to be your feelings towards everyone. We talked about this in our Bhakti Bhai Baba class in reference to Kunti asking to cut off the ties of affection and Bhishma being filled with affection for the Pandavas, although Bhishma is quoted right here in the Nectar Devotion as saying that Bhakti means all your feelings of kinship and affection are opposed in Krishna and not going to anyone else. Like Kunti says that the Ganges flow to the sea without being diverted to anyone else. And yet Bhishma who's saying that has affection for the Pandavas. It's not that he has no affection for the Pandavas. This is an interesting concept that one can also have bhakti for everyone else, but one has to have bhakti only for Krishna. Because when you say only Krishna, Krishna is not an ordinary person. You know, materially, if a woman only loves her husband, she doesn't love anybody else. That's how we think about it, right? Oh, she loves somebody else and she can't really love her. Oh, now you don't love me anymore because you love somebody else. Isn't that how we think about it? But when loving Krishna isn't like that. When you love Krishna, you also love everybody else. And Krishna isn't envious or you love other people. But you have to only love Krishna. If you try to love anybody else other than Krishna, you can't really love anybody very well. And if you only love Krishna, you love everybody. But you only love Krishna. So this is the interesting. Then we see as far as love between devotees, the beautiful song Sri Rupamanjari Pada. You all know that song? When So he's writing to Rupamanjari. It's a it's a love song. He's saying, when I don't see you, it's like I'm bitten by a poisonous snake. All of my japa, all of my tapa, everything is directed to you. So that's the kind of love that one devotee is feeling for another. Of course, Rupamandri in this case is in the, somewhat the role of a guru. But yet, you can say, they only love Krishna. Love of Krishna is not narrow or stereotyped. When you only love Krishna and you don't love anyone else, then you love everyone. And when you love others other than Krishna, you don't really love anyone. If I love somebody other than Krishna, I'm empty. I'm not really capable of love. We could talk quite a bit about what love is. Maybe we will and maybe we won't. If we get there. All right. So only to Krishna. Yes. You can't love anyone else unless you love yourself first. Well, love of self is interesting. We have a word, uh, atmarama. You're all familiar with the word atmarama. So that word describes Krishna, and it also describes any liberated soul. What does the word Atma-Rama mean? Atma means? Self. And Rama means? Pleasure. Someone who takes pleasure in themselves. That means someone who loves themselves. Yes. And what does Krishna say in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita when he's describing trance? He said this is, is characterized by the, by the ability of the pure mind to what? Relish and rejoice in the self. And the words used are atmatustaha, a satisfaction in the self, and also atmarati, which is a far out word. What does rati mean? Attachment, love, ecstasy. Rati is the wife of Cupid. It, it has uh, the word rati has some yeah has some even erotic overtones in that word. But that word is there, atmarati, to love the self. So they're right. 
You cannot love anyone else until you love yourself, but you cannot even love yourself until you love the super self. You first have to love the self of the self. You can't love yourself until you love the super self. And no, you can't love anyone else unless you love the super self in yourself. Impossible. You can't do that. It won't, it won't work. Loving yourself does not mean... I have a whole uh, seminar in this, loving yourself. You, loving yourself doesn't mean you love the false self. Because the false self is not very lovable. <laughs> the false self is just embarrassing. <laughs> no, so it's just like if you have a very beautiful diamond and you put it in the sewer and it gets covered with sewage. So you don't love the sewage. You know, if, if you lost some valuable jewel and you found it in the sewage, you might be very happy that you find it. Oh, I have found my, my diamond. What a lovely diamond I have. But you don't love the sewage that's on it. You don't say, oh, what nice sewage is on my diamond. You wash it. So at this point, I went to, I went to Loy Bazaar yesterday, and I had three interesting pig encounters. I mean, there was one pig sleeping in, this, in the sewer, Sleeping, just with its little nose above. Sleeping. So can we conditioned souls were very blissfully sleeping in the sewer. Oh, nice. Just like there's a hellish planet where you can swim in a river of blood and hair and mucus. And you know that description from the fifth canto? And we read that and go, yeah, but we're all doing that. Where are the souls swimming in this disgusting body? And it's a really disgusting body. Even if, like, you like your eyes, you know, if you popped out your eyeballs and put them in front of you, you'd be disgusting. Or, you know, the ladies like their hair, but if you just have some hair in front of you, there's some hair on the, you're sweeping the floor and there's hair. <laughs> you know? Paint their nails, you find some piece of nail on the And this body is just the gross manifestation of our material attachments. This body is what material attachments look like and smell like, etc. That's what they manifest. As Krishna say, you get senses grouped around the mind. So the body we have is a manifestation of our thoughts and desires. It's not very nice. So I don't think you can like those. I mean, you can love the body and mind in the sense that they're Krishna's energies. It's all ultimately spiritual, but you can't love your body and mind as yourself very sanely. No sane person can really love their, their material personality or their material mind or their material body because it's not very lovable. It's a manifestation of envy. But the self is very lovable. And no, you don't love yourself. But the self is part of Krishna. So they're right. But they don't quite have it generally. I was Yes, yes, just try to love Krishna. Just love only Krishna. If you love Krishna automatically, you will love yourself. That's part of the essence of humility, is seeing the difference between myself and my present condition. If I have voluntarily jumped in the sewer, then that's a nice cause of humility. But if I'm not a diamond to begin with, what does it matter if I jump in the sewer? Do you all follow that logic? Okay, if I'm a piece of rubbish, if that's what I am, what does it matter if I'm in the rubbish bin? It doesn't matter. Rubbish belongs in the rubbish bin. But if I'm a diamond and I'm in the rubbish bin, that is a cause of sorrow. So in order to have some humility and lament 
our fallen condition, we also have to see our glorious reality. If all you're doing is lamenting how fallen you are without also seeing your glorious reality, that's something just in the mode of ignorance, some sort of depression. But if you see, I'm, I'm part of God. I'm a spiritual being. And I voluntarily jumped into the rubbish bin. So that is a very sad situation. Prabhupada gives the example of a child of a very rich person, but they've become you know, a bum on the street. They're an alcoholic living on the street. So that's very lamentable. If they're the child of drug addicts, that's not quite as lamentable, is it? Does that make sense to everybody? So we're all diamonds. Huh? We're all diamonds. We're all diamonds. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, so only Krishna. And of course that includes uh, Krishna's devotees, Krishna's paraphernalia, etc. Krishna includes everything. So... Therefore, everyone else can also be recipients of our bhakti as long as it's only for Krishna. This is a very... um, I've given this example many times. I don't know if I gave it in this class, but this might help you a little bit. Did I talk here about Krishna being our company president? No, I didn't. So just think of it that that you work for Krishna's company. He's your company president. If you're tired, please stand up. I know, it's after lunch, and we had a big lunch, and it's hot. You might feel tired. So Krishna's our company president, and what is the product of our company? Krishna Prem. And then everyone else we're working with is either a supplier, a co-worker, or a customer, or a potential customer. Now, if you love your company president, will you be nice to the customers? Will you be nice to your co-workers? Will you be nice to your suppliers? Yes. Why? To please the company president, not to try to please them separately. In fact, if you want the pleasure of your company president and you're not nice to those people, you know, you may get fired. But you're not trying to please them separately. You're not going to give your customer a deal that your company president doesn't approve of. You're not going to be, you know, just playing games with your coworkers instead of doing company business. You're not going to make a secret personal deal with the suppliers and cheat your company. So you're not going to try to get some have some personal relationship that's separate from pleasing Krishna. But you can't say, "Oh, I I only care about the company president, so I'm just going to yell at all the customers." Because it doesn't matter. But you know only your company president is paying your salary. That even if your customers are upset with you or your coworkers are upset with you, that your company president is paying your salary. Ultimately, you're trying to please him. Does that help at all? So everyone in our life, every other jiva we interact with is either a supplier, a coworker, a customer, or a potential customer. Okay, next one we're going to go to is Shilanam. We're going to go to Shilanam and then Anu Shilanam. So Shilanam means activity. You're doing something. Just like Srila Prabhupada uses the word devotional service. He doesn't just say devotion and he doesn't just say service. So devotion, just like we find in every religion, whether you're Hindu, whether you're Christian, whether you're Muslim or Jewish or Buddhist or whatever your religion is, there are people who will say, oh yes, I love Jesus. Right? Or I love Krishna. So I've met people say, yes, I love Krishna. Why don't you chant? Oh, in my heart I am always chanting. You've met people like this? I remember taking a devotee to the hospital for a surgery and Sunday morning they were playing some Christian television station. And the people are there all holding hands and like, we love Jesus. So that's just the devotion, but where's the service? You know, even in our ordinary life, 
So the man comes home and the house is a mess and dinner isn't even started and his wife is still in her sleeping clothes and he comes home and she says, oh dear, I love you very much. And he says, well, but where's dinner? Oh, but I love you so much. <laughs> or the man never works, you know, he just lies on the couch watching the television. <laughs> hmm? And he says to, to says, oh, I love you very much. Well, that's nice, dear, but you haven't gone to work for the last two years. Oh, but I love you so much. So love is demonstrated in action. It's demonstrated in action. You know, I remember I, there was someone who was my friend and who said, oh, Rila, you know, anytime you need something, just ask. And then when I needed something and asked, she said, oh, no, I'm too busy. I can't bother. <laughs> you know, so what, what is the extent of, of love? Love has to be shown in behavior. But behavior itself is not sufficient. You know, there's a difference between your wife washing the dishes and the servant washing the dishes, although they're both washing the dishes. Hopefully, when the wife washes the dishes, there's love. Hopefully. And probably, when the servant washes the dishes, there's not very much love. Depending on how much you pay. Depending on how much you pay. <laughs> So if it's the wife washing the dishes, even if the husband has had a bad day, she doesn't quit, hopefully. But the servant, if you say, I can't pay you anymore, the servant quits. So there's a difference. Uh, my son sent me an article the other a few months ago about uh, nannies, women who take care of other people's children, you know, women who raise other people's children. And, you know, what does that mean, to be raised by somebody who's hired to take care of you? What kind of bonds form between them and the children and things like that? So it's, and my point is it's not just behaviors, nor is it just emotion. It's both. It's behaviors with emotion. So we can do a little chart here. means first of all Prabhupada talks about it being positive and negative actions what does Prabhupada mean by positive and negative favorable and unfavorable no yes. negative is following the four regulated principles good yes Negative are the do-nots, and positive are the do's. Interestingly enough, God, I can't remember who it was. Oh, my. I, my, my degrees are in, in educational management and leadership, and I, I keep up a lot with management and leadership stuff. I can't remember. There's one book I read in this last year on management. And it was saying that a lot of people have a to-do list, but they should also have a not-to-do list. So I was talking to one of my friends here in Vrindavan the other day, and we had both read something very disturbing. And the next day, both of us, independent of each other, had woken up on fire to do something about it. And so I was talking to her about it, and I said, yeah, you know, I just said, okay, Krishna, you know, I want to go to the Lord to chant my rounds, and then I'll work on it. And she said, I couldn't even go to Mongolia. I had to work on it immediately. But I just wrote it all down. Now I've got to type it on my computer. And I said, well, I just type directly on my computer. I don't have to write it and type it. She said, yeah, but I won't turn on my computer until I finish my rounds. <laughs> so that's a do not list. So a person may have a list, do not turn on the computer until I finish my rounds. Okay? Or I have some friends who have a list of, I do not talk to anyone until I finish my rounds. Or I do not talk to anyone until 10 in the morning. There was one devotee who spends a lot of time in Vrindavan. And uh, he told me, he said, I don't say a word to anybody until 10 in the morning. That's my, that's my principle. So we can have a do not list. So action includes a do list and a do not list. 
All right. And both your do and do not list have to deal with what are the categories of action. So the problem is what? Categories of action. Action by this, by this, by this. Three categories. Body kinds. Uh, body, body, speech. Speech. <laughs> body, so that's both for the do and the do not. Body, speech, and mind, and the three categories of mind. Thinking, feeling, and willing. Now it's funny because willing is tied right back to body. Willing basically is talking about behaviors. And these are very linked. Just thinking, feeling, and willing. It's a, it's a system. It's like an integrated system of basically behaviors, thoughts, and emotions. So bhakti is meant to engage our our determination to do things, our thoughts, our emotions, what we say and what we actually do. Uh, we could speak at length on any one of these subpoints, but our most important thing here is that bhakti is not just done with the body. It's not just body. It's not just body. It's not just body. Uh, then it's not devotional service, then it's just service. And service can also be done with, with only the mind. It's possible to do service with only the mind. There's a story told later in this book of that Brahmin who offered everything in the mind. Yeah, yeah, he burned his finger on the sweet rice. So there was, uh, many years ago in ISKCON, there was a publication, this was late, way before the internet. Uh, it was a, like a news publication for devotees and it had what we call a personal section where people could advertise for a husband or wife. So I remember one of the, one of the sections there, a man looking for a wife, he said, my favorite service is to sleep and dream about Krishna. <laughs> so just because you can offer Krishna service with only your mind doesn't mean you shouldn't use your body if your body is functioning if your body is not functioning then only service with the mind is acceptable but service should be offered also with the mind so Shilanam has all those categories of action things you do, things you avoid what you do with your body what you do with your speaking what you, how you think what your thoughts are, what your emotions are, and what your determination is. So those are all aspects of the action being done for Krishna. It's very complete. How do you show someone you love them in all of those ways? We'll do this briefly. Um, can you guys tell me the difference between a thought and a feeling? Can some people give me examples of thoughts, Krishna conscious thoughts? Um, you can think that you're going to make a dollar Krishna's tomorrow. Okay, that's really willing. Okay. That's a willing. Well, there, there might be a disconnect between, because willing is a, is a subcategory of mind rather than directly the same as body, although sometimes we put willing, sometimes we say willing is the same as body, but we can also have it as a subcategory of mind. So willing is what happens right before the action. Haven't you ever willed to do something that you didn't do? Yes. Yeah, a lot of time. I can teach you how to deal with that, by the way, but I don't know how I would do that in the context of this class. And a lot of it's based on this thinking, feeling, and willing. Yes? Do you think about how you're going to feel your day? Is that a willing? I think that's still a willing. 
has to, that has to do with determination. Any other thoughts? That's good. Those are good examples of willing it. You can think that Krishna is beautiful. That is oh, yeah, how beautiful Krishna is. That's feeling. No, that's a thought. Really? Nah. What would the feeling be that could go along with that? Anybody give me a feeling? Happiness? Like touching? Yeah, like when you do deity worship. Oh, that's a different sort of feeling. Or how we can make Krishna more beautiful? That's thinking. But what's the feeling you have? Happy. Happy? Okay, we've gotten happy. Blissful is another kind of happy. Affection. Affection. What other things are, what other words do we have for feelings? Melancholy. Melancholy. Some more feeling words. Wonder. Sadness. Sadness. Upset. Upset. More. Astonishment. Astonishment. Attracted. Attracted. Indifference. You could feel indifference. Hope you don't feel indifference towards Krishna. (laughs) (laughs) But that is a feeling word. You could feel indifference toward material sense gratification as part of your feeling towards Krishna, because that would be a do not. That would be an argument. Inspired. What else is in our feeling category? Emotion. Emotion is is another word for feeling. You can feel emotional. You could feel emotional. Anxiety. Anxiety, yeah. Ecstasy. Ecstasy. A word used much in the Hare Krishna movement. Bewildered. Yes, bewildered, yes. You could feel pain. There is spiritual pain, you know. Crying. Crying would be what? Intoxicated. You could feel intoxicated. Crying is what? Willing or body. Crying is under body. Excuse me? Arti darshan. But what would you be feeling? What would you feel? And you just see the D. So what do you feel? How do you feel? Happiness. Happiness. With all those feelings in relation to Krishna, you can see the ecstasy. Anybody want to answer this question? All these feelings in relationship to Krishna, could they be considered ecstasy? Okay, so she says a yes, and you say not really, it depends on your levels. Yeah. Well, Rupa Goswami does list all the different emotions that it's possible to feel as varieties of ecstasy. Now, whether or not when you feel sad because the curtains have closed, it's ecstasy would depend, again, on your level of realization. It could be, you know, slight. But yes, all those feelings. Ecstasy isn't just like... <sighs> all the time. It has varieties. Okay, are we clear now as to what feelings are? It's interesting to me how many people don't have feeling vocabularies. They, have, they don't have any they don't have vocabularies for their emotions. But emotions are actually at the heart of bhakti. Many are not used to speaking about emotions. It's like put aside, especially when we're not our body. You're not supposed to feel so much? Mm. <laughs> Good point. Uh, materially speaking, all of the emotions are really a problem for us. Every emotion, even happiness. If you're too happy, you will be weird. You know, and, and emotions, material emotions tend to do what? They what? 
they bewilder us, they cover our intelligence, and we do things that we later regret. And that's true for the good emotions, not only the bad emotions. Right before I came here, somebody contacted me and said, I got so angry at my child today that I I started pushing him by the neck and almost really hurt him. What happened to me? How could I have done that? How could I have gotten so angry at my child? I didn't realize I could get out of control like that. So all of our emotions are like that. I mean, perhaps uh, lust and anger are the most scary, but they're all scary. Even great happiness is scary, or great sadness is scary. And when we see people experiencing very extreme emotions, what do we usually do? We run away. We run away. We try to get them to, to calm down. You know, I was, I was at a uh, funeral ceremony for a devotee, actually just a few meters from here, and I was crying. And the devotees came up to me and said, Ormila, don't cry. I thought, oh, that's odd. And I remember being in the temple room when a devotee's passing was announced, and I was crying. And again, people came up to me, what's wrong? What's wrong? What do you mean, what's wrong? How can you say what's wrong? Someone I know and care about has just left this world, so I'm crying. I said, oh, so-and-so's just gone. Oh, it's okay, it's okay, you don't have to cry. So our general tendency with emotions is to try to stop them. Now, we don't want to stop them completely, or we would just be a table, or a computer, but we generally try to stop them. However, humans and all living entities exist to experience strong emotions. So every society has some circumstance in which they allow you and even encourage you to express strong emotions, like... Festivals for dancing. Festivals, parties. Dramas. Yeah, entertainment. Movies, plays. Hmm? Funerals. Funerals, weddings, funerals, weddings, any big party, national holidays. National holidays, yes. What else? Movies. Movies, for sure. What else? News. News sometimes. Yeah. What about sports? Sports. 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 I was at a devotee's house, and their their son was watching some sporting game. He was alone in the room watching the sporting game, and I walked through, and he jumps out of the seat and starts yelling at the television. <laughs> <laughs> and he jumped up and oh, I'm like, who are you talking to? <laughs> but that's not only acceptable, but it's encouraged. What about intoxication? Yeah. Does every society have its legitimate intoxicants? Yes. Oh, yes. And even socially, almost socially mandated intoxicants. What does that mean? Mandated. Almost required. Almost compulsory. That if you're part of that society, you are expected in certain social situations to indulge in their intoxicants. And each society has certain intoxicants that it favors. And under the influence of those intoxicants, you are allowed to show more emotion. Right? So I was, I was told that especially in the Scandinavian countries that people are very reserved unless they're drunk. (laughs) I was told. I haven't been there myself. But this general tendency is that we're terrified of our emotions, but we still need to express them and we want to express extreme emotions. So we have certain times and places and circumstances where it's encouraged to express extreme emotions. And the result of this repression of emotions and denial of emotions is we have a hard time listing them. You know, if I say list emotions, I just get happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad. If we're learning, you know, like in active instruction, the first thing we're learning is that spiritual stabilization starts with mind and sense control. Mm. And I think even in our community, if you are not in control of your emotions, then you're out of control. Oh, yes. So, let's have another diagram. I've got, I really need to get through this first day. 
but I have two two days for chapter one. So. So you have, this is your line of neutrality. And Krishna talks about this a lot in the Bhagavad Gita, this equipoise. You don't care for honor, dishonor, happiness, and distress. Not elated when there's happiness, not disappointed when there's distress, right? Yeah. Where are those lists in Bhagavad Gita? Chapter 2. 12, 14, and a little bit here and there, especially 2, 12, and 14, uh, somewhat in chapter 6. So neutrality means that I'm working on the platform of intelligence. And intelligence is controlling the mind and the emotions. I mean, that's what we feel like is the difference between human society and animal society. That an animal just acts on their emotions and their desires, whereas a human being acts on the platform of intelligence. Now, what the impersonalists do is they try What do they try to do with these things? Surprise. Stop them. And just be on the intelligence platform. And then from there, to go up to spiritual thoughts and emotions and desires is, what does Krishna say, 12.5? Anybody have 12.5? Bhagavad Gita? No, no way. I asked if you knew it. Kalisho Kalisho Yes. What does that mean? It is more troublesome. More troublesome. So the impersonalistic path, and my dear friends, my dear friends, we in the Hare Krishna movement can inadvertently be trying to do it this way. Without realizing what we're doing, we can think that the path of bhakti is like the path of the impersonalist. That first I have to stop my thoughts, emotions, and desires and just be on this intelligence platform where I'm just in control of my thoughts and emotions and desires. And I come to this platform of neutrality and then I can do the spiritual. But that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is this. We're taking the material we're bringing the material down as we're bringing the spiritual up. Or you can even say we're transforming the material back into the spiritual as a continuous process. And we're never trying to repress the material. I don't say never. Maybe as a beginner sometimes. I mean, you have to do a little bit of repression, otherwise you would steal things and hurt people. So we have to do a little bit of repression. But that's not our method. Our method is not that. Our method is transforming. We do not say, we as bhakti yogis do not say, first I have to become free of all my material desires, thoughts, and emotions, and then I can cultivate spiritual thoughts, desires, and emotions. I cannot stress how important this differentiation is. You know, we can do it the other way, but Krishna says, don't do it that way. It will just be trouble. You'll find it very hard to do it, and once you're successful, you'll find it hard to transfer to bhakti. So it's, it's a dangerous path. Ultimate bhakti is quite a madness of emotion. Now that doesn't mean that you're a non-functional person. Rupa Goswami was a very functional person, as was Shiva Prabhupada. Of course, Mahaprabhu wasn't such a functional person in his last years. But he could become like that when the devotees came from Bengal for the Rathiyatra. He put those 
intense ecstasy sort of aside for those four months. But I doubt if any of us will come to the level of Mahaprabhu's ecstasies anyway. So don't think we have to worry. But a part of the difficulty that we have with making advancement might be, for some of us, a fear of spiritual emotion. Because we're definitely afraid of our material emotions. We want them. We need them. We're hankering after extreme emotions, and yet we're afraid of them because they make us lose control of our intelligence. But the spiritual emotions are above the platform of intelligence. They're above the platform of neutrality. The madness of spiritual emotion by people who have prema bhakti is not the madness of a person overwhelmed by material emotion. They're above the platform of neutrality. Okay, we're just going to cover one more thing and then take a break. Uh, Srila Prabhupada makes the point that these actions are under the control of the internal, not the external energy. That although they're actions, they're actions of the body and mind, they're actions of speech, they're actions of thinking, feeling, and willing, that they're under the control of Srimati Radharani. And how do we achieve this? Right? Anu Shilanam. It's not just Shilanam, right? Krishna Anu Shilanam. Anu means to follow. So our actions are following. Our actions are following. We don't just make up what are the actions of bhakti. Yes, but we'll get to that more a little later. So, um, She's saying also means continuous, yes? Our actions are following Shri Yes, and Srila Prabhupada and our gurus. and In other words, we're getting guidance and we're under the protection of the internal energy and the disciplic succession and the acharyas, just like a nectar of instruction, following in the footsteps of the previous acharyas, <laughs> the same principle. I was talking about working for Krishna's company. So if you're hired in a new company, you may first have to have training how to work in that company. Otherwise, how will you know what their policies are? So I used to run a school where the kids worked individually. And if children came from another school where everybody did the same thing at the same time, it took about two weeks for them to learn our system. So one has to follow. And Okay. Srila Prabhupada makes a strong statement here in regard to following and especially in regard to spiritual master on XX11, bottom of the second paragraph. Therefore, the execution of Krishna conscious activities with the body should be directed by the spiritual master and then performed with faith. Faith is both an emo- Faith is in what? Thinking, feeling, or willing? Feeling. Faith is a feeling. And there's also thoughts involved with faith, of course. The connection with the spiritual master is called initiation. From the date of initiation by the spiritual master, the connection between Krishna and a person cultivating Krishna consciousness is established. Without initiation by a bona fide spiritual master, the actual connection with Krishna consciousness is never performed. Thoughts on that statement? XX11, second, XX11, second paragraph, last sentence. Okay. You have to be plugged in the powers. Are there thoughts on this statement? It's quite a heavy statement. Without initiation by a bona fide spiritual master, the actual connection with Krishna consciousness is never performed. Yes? um, It's also, you're making the commitment officially, but you may not, you may get initiated and just be like your limbo and not be serving. Okay, this does not, that's a little logic. So it's like if you say, if there's rain, there must be clouds. However, that does not imply that if there's clouds, there must be rain. So Prabhupada's saying that if you're connected, you must be initiated. He doesn't say if you're initiated, you must be connected. It would be possible to get initiated officially without actually actually having interest in making a connection. Like sometimes people get married just to get a visa 
and they never even practically know the person's name or have any relationship with them. So, yes? I actually have this follow-up question. Okay. Uh, or is it? Because the connection with Krishna consciousness is actually by nature in our super soul, right? Mm, so yes. So why, why is it only three station? Or the... So that's a, that's a good argument. So we're, we all are innately Krishna conscious. In fact, Prabhupada just said that previously, that we're all naturally and innately Krishna conscious. Should Prabhupada the initiation of the after he his spiritual master? 11 years. So it took Srila Prabhupada 11 years between the time of meeting his spiritual master before, you know, it was an 11-year gap between meeting his spiritual master and taking initiation. So there was no connection? Before. Would you say there's no connection? Okay. So we have some arguments against this statement. Any other arguments against this statement? And we have previous, previous life connection with master? Well, yes, we could have a previous life connection. I mean, in fact, Rupa Goswami says later that anyone who takes up Krishna consciousness seriously must have executed something in a previous life. Generally. Well, where's the order of seriously? Another question. Okay, so so far I've heard some statements as to why this is not an absolute statement. By the way, we have not only Srila Prabhupada, but the Shastra itself and the Acharyas, just like we do, often use absolute words in a general sense. Just like you might say, oh, have you seen Krishna Das? And I'd say, oh, no, you know, he never comes to the temple. Now, does that necessarily mean never? It might mean he comes on Janmastami and Gorpurnima. But I might say, never. Or, how's so-and-so doing? Oh, she always goes to Mangalarti. But maybe she doesn't always go. Maybe sometimes she's on an airplane. So, in our normal conversation we sometimes use absolute words, not absolutely. We use absolute words in a general sense, and you will find that also in the Shastra, and you will find that also from Srila Prabhupada. In many, many, many places, you will find Srila Prabhupada using language as if it's absolute, when when he clearly does not mean it that way. And you know he doesn't mean it that way, because other times he'll say opposite things. So one way you know whether a person uses absolute language absolutely is do they consistently say the same thing? But if you'll find different things are said in different places, then if something is said absolutely. And again, if I said, oh yeah, Krishna Das, I only see him on Janmastami. Yeah, he never comes to the temple. So that never could not mean zero. So just like we have the statements by Lord Ramachandra and uh, Ms. Singadev, Ms. Singadev, which I think is quoted in, in this book, that as soon as a person one time says to the Lord, my dear Lord, from this day on I am yours, that from that moment such a person is under the personal care of the Lord. And my understanding is that doesn't matter even what religion you're in. If a person with sincerity you know, not just officially, says, my dear Lord, from this day on I am yours. From that day, there is a connection. So what does Srila Prabhupada mean by this? The one one has to be under the care of spiritual master, officially. Okay. Okay. What is mandatory? Well, mandatory, again, puts you into absoluteness. Yes. Trying to encourage us? <coughs> okay. But it's, it's a very strong statement. Well, there's so many other slogans that confirm that it's an absolute necessity to accept the word of spiritual master. Okay, is it an absolute necessity to take initiation? Yes. yes. It's a recommendation. Absolute? Sukadev Goswami never took initiation. Yes, Krishna says. Okay, but is it actually absolute in terms of 100%? Generally. Generally, there are some exceptions. Very few, like that Russian devotee that makes Shula proper. No, he can initiate. He can initiate, proper initiate. Proper initiate. But there is actually a story from behind the Iron Curtain 
when the devotees were preaching in communist countries and the devotees were in disguise. You know, they weren't in dhotis, E.T. Lark and, and Sika. So there was a traffic jam. The cars weren't moving and the devotees went to see what was the problem. They got out of their car to see and there was an accident and they saw it was the second in command of the communist army in that country was lying on the road, dying. So one of the devotees said, oh, we have some sort, this was before the days of mobile phones, he said, we have some sort of a phone device in our car, we can call for help. So then someone told this general, oh, these people are going to help you. And he said, oh, oh, he could barely talk, he was dying. And he said, what's your name? So the devotee who was there, this was not his name, he had a different name. He said, my name is Krishna. And the general said, Krishna, Krishna, and he died. <laughs> so definitely he was not initiated. Uh, but, huh? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you think about this on the break? Take a break of, let's say, about six, seven minutes. Stretch, get some water, get some air, get some sunshine, and think about this. Think about it, go take a break. Take a break, take a break, take a break. Take a break. I don't know if I'll do everything I want to do today. I will, but will I do it all today? I don't know. I will, but I don't know if I'll get to them all today. I'm, I'm getting... Um, Thank <laughs> you.